I wonder if, um, if any of you have ever had a dream that was so vivid you thought it was real. Now, last summer, on uh, the first night of our family summer holiday, I had a, a very stark and somewhat disturbing dream. And in the dream, I found myself standing outside a large house here in Nottingham, and there outside the house was my wife, Donna. And it soon transpired in the reality of the dream that uh, Donna was in fact there with one intention in mind, to burgle this house. <laughs> and uh, despite my protests, um, she was not to be dissuaded. And, uh, and then in the dream, one after the other, three friends uh, appeared in the dream. Uh, two of them members of this church, who, who will uh, remain nameless. Um, or possibly for a fee, I might divulge them. But, um, but they too were part of this burglary plot. And they too were not for turning, despite my protests. In fact, one of them, and if you knew who it was and you know, know him, you wouldn't be surprised at this. One of them actually tried to persuade me why it was actually a good idea and the right thing to do to commit this robbery. And um, I tried one last time to dissuade Donna. I talked about our children, I talked about the prospect of prison, and, uh, but the gang of four were determined. And so I left the scene of the crime. And then I woke up. And uh, I woke up somewhat troubled and perplexed by what had just transpired. And there lying next to me was my dear wife Donna, sound asleep, without an apparent care in the world, now, normally, one of the, for me, one of the most comforting and uh, soothing sights as I look across uh, the bed is to see, see my wife, you know, asleep, you know, in comfort and in peaceful slumber. But that morning, I looked across, and the only words that came into my mind were, how could you? <laughs> how can you just lie there? Have you no shame? And then the ensuing seconds and minutes went by. And it dawned on me that I was not in Nottingham, that I was, in fact, on holiday in County Cork in Ireland, and it's, it was highly likely, although I wasn't 100% sure at that point, that these events in my head hadn't actually happened. Although I would say it took me probably the rest of the day um, to be 100% convinced that this wasn't the case. I would like to add at this point that um, I have confronted Donna and two of the three perpetrators uh, from the dream, and they were, and as far as I know to this point in time, they are completely unrepentant for their actions. <laughs> and unfortunately, the only tears that were shed by any of the four following the incidents were the tears of laughter of my wife as I tried to explain my disappointment and my concern about the seriousness of her actions. Now, as you'll have gathered, the disappointment, albeit fleeting for me, that I experienced was entirely of my um, own subconscious making about events that never happened. And as far as I'm aware, my wife is not engaged in a life of career criminality, 
although I can't necessarily account for the other three. <laughs> but the reality for all of us is that disappointment is something that we encounter regularly. Every person in this room, regardless of our economic situation, our cultural backgrounds, our stage of life, whether we're married, whether we're singled, single, regardless of our life circumstances, or even where, where we are on any uh, journey of faith. We all encounter disappointment. And in, that disappointment comes in the small things of life, the mundane things of our existence. But it also happens in the major and life-changing events of life, most of which we don't see coming. And that disappointment can take a number of forms. It can be disappointment with others. It can be disappointment with ourselves in terms of the things that we have done or failed to do in our own life. And at its deepest form, um, arising out of that or other circumstances, it can be disappointment with God. And it's something that I've been reflecting on a lot over the last year. And, uh, and I think that's been for a number of reasons. In the last couple of years, in our own family situations, we've been through um, a number of personal losses and significant life events. And on a wider level, in with those around me, um, both in this church and outside of the church, I've journeyed through a number of situations with people where they are facing significant life issues and significant disappointment and significant loss. And so over that time, I found myself asking the question, how do we deal with disappointment? I just want to invite you just for a moment to think of a person in your life. Think of the person, I'm not talking about someone off the TV, someone that you know personally, and think who's the person that you would most like to emulate. Now for some of you, you've considered someone who may have achieved in life, they may have reached position in life, or they may seem to have positive circumstances in life. But regardless of those things, I suspect that whoever it is, that for many of us, the person that we will have thought of will be someone who has dealt with and has walked through the real challenges and difficulties of life. And for me, the place I've reached over this last 12 months or so is, is this. The more I go through life, the less I envy a person's position in life and the more I admire a person's disposition to life. Where a person's sense of well-being isn't at the core, at its core determined by his or her circumstances, but the manner in which he or she has journeyed through those circumstances. Those are the people that I admire. Those are the people that I want, that I want to be like. And some of those people are people of position, and some of those are not. And so this morning, I want to give some thoughts from the Bible about that whole thing, about disappointment, how we deal with disappointment. And in particular, I want to look at the book of Psalms, um, just thinking about how do we journey through, and how does God invite us to journey through. Now, I want to emphasize this morning that there's a couple of things that I'm not intending to do. I'm not intending to, 
seek to answer the, the very important question of why does suffering happen? And that may be a question that you have. It may be something that you would want to explore further. And uh, John's talked just now about the Alpha Course. And that's one of the questions that would be, you're free to talk about on that, exploring the why these things happen. Equally, what I'm not going to do is give a 30-minute antidote to the disappointments of life or a guaranteed formula to overcome those disappointments. Because I think such an attempt would not only be trite, but be somewhat arrogant in terms of the, the reality of the circumstances of life that we face. But what I do want to do is I want to humbly share, hopefully, some in insight that I've had over the last year or so in my own walk with God and to give some thoughts that I believe are some ways God invites us to go on that journey. As I said, I'm going to be looking at the, at the Bible. I'm going to be looking at, in particular, at the book of Psalms. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, if you open your Bible, slap bang in the middle, you'll find Psalms. And, uh, and again, for those of us that aren't so familiar with the Bible, the Bible, you know, we look at it and think, oh, it's a book. But essentially, it's a collection of books, and Psalms is one of those, um, those books, which in itself is a collection of um, effectively poems that were written by a number of authors over a period of time. And the Psalms are essentially, the, the, they're, they're poems or songs. They were written by a variety of people. And in those, in those Psalms, they express questions, they express doubts, wonder, thanksgiving, and ultimately praise to God in the real circumstances of life at the time that they were written. And this morning, I'm particularly going to be looking at Psalm 77, um, which is a, a, a psalm that I've spent time particularly reading in recent months um, because a good friend of mine has sent me some words because of circumstances that we've been going through. He sent me a number of words of encouragement specifically from Psalm 77. And so I've been reflecting on it. And so my hope today is whatever the circumstances that you face this morning, you'll walk away with a greater sense of God in the midst of those circumstances. Whether you're dealing with a recent loss or bereavement, whether you're facing challenges and difficulties of personal illness or illness of those around you, whether you're facing, you may be facing relational conflict, you may be facing financial difficulty, you may be concerned about the things that are going on at work, or indeed you may be seeking to find work. Or you may be concerned about a situation where you feel you've been misrepresented or misunderstood. By the time we get to the end of this morning, we'll have read the whole of Psalms, Psalm 77, together. And, um, and out of that, I hope to uh, suggest that there are maybe four invitations that, uh, that God might give, bring to us. But I'm just going to briefly gonna pr pray and then we'll carry on. Lord, I just pray for every person here, for each of us, whatever burden or disappointment or concern or worry we've brought in to this room this morning. Lord, I pray that before we leave, that, Lord, we would encounter you more 
and encounter you in the midst of those circumstances. Amen. Now the first invitation that I think that God wants to make to us through this psalm is to be real with him. To be absolutely honest at where we're at. I'm just going to read the first nine verses of Psalm 77. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in, in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remember you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject me forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? You see, God can cope with absolute honesty. Those verses that I've just read out, they're, they're pretty frank. And the reality is that when we go through periods of disappointment or doubt or fear in our lives, there are often very real and very deep feelings about what's going on. Especially when that disappointment relates, relates to the actions of others or the actions beyond our control. And it can lead to very real questions. Why did God let it happen? Why did he not intervene? Why did he not answer my prayer? Why does he seem to prefer others over me or my family? Has God forgotten me or has God even noticed me? And in some ways, I think that um, here in, in this morning in this room, there's going to be people at all stages of walks of faith, in the walk of faith. And I think, to be honest, in terms of discussions I've had with people over the years and encounters I've had, I actually think that sometimes people who are on a journey towards faith or would consider themselves not necessary to have faith actually are more comfortable asking those questions. And often those of us who express a faith don't necessarily express those fears and those anxieties. But regardless of whether we express those thoughts, the reality for many of us is that they remain deep within. And my understanding from reading the Psalms, reading um, the rest of Scripture, my experience from my own life, and my experience from my relationship with others, is that we have a God that doesn't just tolerate our questions and our doubts and our fears, he longs for us to express those doubts to him. He longs for us to, doubt, to express those questions to him. Because first and foremost, he wants to meet us personally in the midst of the situation. 
in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our confusion. Um, just over a year ago, um, my father passed away, just a year and a couple of weeks. And uh, the first Sunday back was in church after the funeral was pretty much this, this Sunday. In fact, the baptism service was in the evening. And, um, and I was sat in that, that area, just you know, in this block over here. And, um, and I walked in. I have to say, that evening, I was probably about as fragile walking into a church service as I remember ever being. And, uh, and I was walking in to what was essentially a celebration, what tonight will be a celebration. And if you don't normally come to church twice on a Sunday, come twice this week. Because it was a celebration of the decisions that people had made to follow Jesus. And I remember during the worship, I sat, I sat over there, I didn't stand throughout, throughout it all. I might have stood at the beginning, but then I was, I was sitting down. And, um, and for half an hour, the pain that had welled up inside, and it was almost a physical pain, came out. And I wept, and I wept, and I wept. And, um, and God met me in the midst of that pain that night. And he's continued to meet me ever since. And I just reflected on it afterwards that, that there's only God who can simultaneously come into a place of celebration and individually, because I wouldn't have been the only person that night, individually meet with someone who isn't in a place of celebration but is in a place of pain. It's only our complete God who can meet us and minister simultaneously to joy and pain. And something I've come to realize more and more over the last 12 months is that this honesty before God is not something to, to get past. It's a place that we journey through. And actually, it's the, it's the place where Jesus actually meets us in the midst of that situation. And I think this morning, there's, as I've said, there's an invitation that we come to Jesus to God with our real doubts and our real fears. But there's a danger. And the danger is this, that there's the potential for some of us that we can get stuck in that place. And I say that with all humility this morning. But we can get stuck in the place of our questions and our fear. We can get locked in. And once we get locked in, we start to believe a lie. We start to believe that the, the things that are expressed in the first half of Psalm 77, rather than being a heartfelt expression of um, pain to a loving God, is actually the truth. And I think that's where God would... Um, counsel us this morning with a second invitation. After encouraging us to be real with him, he wants to say to us, don't make our home in the place of disappointment. You know, I talked earlier about, um, excuse me, about the deluded start to my holiday last year. Well, 
things. That was the first day of the holiday. It did get better. And in fact, it turned out to be one of the, the best holidays we've ever had. And uh, we were in, um, as I said, we were in County Cork in Ireland. And we were staying near to my cousins, where I used to go when I, when I um, was growing up. And um, one evening, a couple of days before the end of the holiday, um, one of my cousins took me um, and took the family uh, to a mountain that's very near to where, um, to where they, they, they live, to where uh, my mother grew up. And uh, it's a mountain that he was very familiar with. Um, it's called Mount Mushra. And uh, so we set off in optimistic mood, <clears throat> but partway up, um, it was early evening, and the clouds, these clouds just descended as we were going up, and this mist came. And, uh, but we were still discerning, and we said, but no, we can, we're fine, we'll, we'll keep going. And he, he, he knows this mountain, and he just said, no, no, we need to stop. And we said, no, but we can see the top. We, we, can, we really want to get to the top. And... Um, and this is the, I think it's going to come up, this is the scene, I took a picture of it at the time, that we were looking at. And for me, you can clearly see the top of the mountain. And uh, Mike, my cousin, said to me, no, 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 no. See, the problem is, is that the mountain lies to you. And uh, that beyond what you can see are at least two more peaks to the mountain. You think you can see the top, but you can't. So he said, look, we'll go back home and we'll, we'll give it another go tomorrow night. And, uh, and I was profoundly struck by that at the time. Um, and I'll explain later why, how I was struck wasn't, was, was going to lead to something else. But, um, and I wrote it down in my journal, what he'd said, that the mountain lies to us. You know, that something that I was seeing in, in, in nature actually was expressing something that is true of life. That often we end in, in, up in a, a situation where our circumstances lie to us. So that the words in the first half of Psalm 77 that I read out, rather than being this profound dialogue that I talked about, becomes a state of being. It becomes a place where we, we get imprisoned. And so the mountain in our life, or more to the point, the clouds and the mist that sometimes descend, they will lie to us, or the enemy will seek to lie through them. And so we can end up concluding that even if there is a God, he can't possibly care, or that my life is too small or insignificant for God to even be interested in. Your di my disappointment might be in myself, and, and if it is, and my own actions, it's that God simply wouldn't want to know anymore. Or if God really cared, that thing, that event would never have happened. And it's at this point I think that God wants to make maybe the most scary invitation of all. And it's this, it's to remember his truth. I'm just going to read out to to you the, the remainder of um, Psalm 77, starting at verse 10. Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. 
I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, uh, saw you, God. The waters saw you, saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So in the second half of that psalm, that the psalmist, the writer, is essentially remembering the faithfulness of God. How in the past, and in particular in that point, he's remembering the time of Moses, when the people who'd been enslaved in Egypt were set free. God rescued them from um, the bondage of Pharaoh, and ultimately he parted the Red Sea, and his people were able to cross over and be liberated. But the reality for some of us here today is reading of God's faithfulness to his people in the time of Moses. For some of us, that may be something we relate to. We're familiar with scripture, we're familiar with all that's gone on in history, and we relate to it. And we're able to relate that to our circumstances. It may even trigger for us memories of God's own faithfulness in our lives. But for many here, if we're honest, it probably feels pretty irrelevant to our day-to-day experience in 2017 Nottingham. You know, in, in terms of explain, how do, we trans- how do we get from those verses to our circumstances now? You know, you might understandably ask, particularly if you're looking at faith and thinking, what's it all about? You might understandably ask, well, why should I be interested in the story of a particular people from distant history in a far-off place that I might not even believe in? What does it have to do with my life and its current struggles and worries and disappointments? And if you were to put it that way, I could see what you'd be thinking. You might say to me, you talk to me of God's love and faithfulness of concern. And you say he wants me to meet me in my disappointment and my pain. Well, why should I believe you? And I would say as a good um, follower of Jesus that God's rescue of his people from slavery in Egypt was simply a foretaste of his plan to rescue all of humankind. And you might say, well, what does that mean? What are you talking about? But I think it's summed up, right, there's a little nugget right in the midst of those, those last set of verses that I read out. Verse 15, it says this, with your mighty arm, you redeemed your people 
the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. See, God had a plan that he would ultimately demonstrate his plan to redeem and to rescue all humankind, not just the people um, enslaved in Egypt those thousands of years ago. And for me, it's best summed up by returning to that mountain in County Cork that I told you about a few minutes ago. See, the following evening, um, we went back. My cousin said, it looks like a good evening, let's try again. And the clouds had lifted and the mist had gone. And we started to climb again. And we climbed the same path up the same mountain. And this time we got to the top. And this is what we found at the top. You might understandably ask, through all the trials and tribulations and difficulties of life, how can I really know that God cares about my situation? How can I really know that he knows my pain? And the truth is that I don't have perfect words to explain that. I don't have a perfect argument. The only thing I can do is to point. I can only point to a perfect saviour, to a cross on a hill that represents a documented day in history where the Son of God, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for you and me. And on that day, he took on himself our pain, our anxiety, our fear, our disappointment, our scars, our suffering, and our sin. And I believe that same Jesus is here today with us, that he's in this room, that when you leave this building today, that he will walk with us. And that he's saying to us, just like he said 2,000 years ago, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. You know, how do I work through the pain and disappointment of loss in my life? I come to the cross, and I keep coming to the cross. You know, since that, um, that day last August, on the top of that mountain, there hasn't been a single time of worship, not one, where I haven't seen that cross. And I count that as a, just a precious gift. You know, I grew up in the um, Catholic Church, something I'm profoundly grateful for. And the liturgy and the style of the Catholic Church, those of you who are familiar with it, is, is very different to how we do it here. And um, there's a there's a point in each Sunday service um, and, and other services, um, they call it the Mass, where the congregation, they're invited to proclaim what's known as the mystery of faith. 
And there are four versions of the mystery of faith, but they're essentially different versions of the same prayer. And so in growing up in that, you know, they're just in, you know, they're just in, sometimes they're just in you. And this is one that regularly comes back to me. This, this declaration of the mystery of faith. And it says this, Lord, by your cross and resurrection, you have set us free. You are the saviour of the world. And that is the mystery and the wonder of our faith. That Jesus, by his cross, by his resurrection, has set us free. Because he is the saviour of the world. So as we, this morning, as we're coming into land, but as we reflect on life and its disappointments, you know, I've suggested that God is inviting us to be real with him about our disappointments, that he invites us not to make our home in that disappointment. He invites us to remember his truth of who he is and what he's done, And the fourth invitation he invites us to is actually from a scripture that was up on the screen throughout worship. He invites us to look to the future. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God has got a plan and a hope for every single person in this room and every person represented in this room who is not here. Regardless of your history, your disappointments, your sin, your pain, your weakness or your fears, he's inviting you to come to him today. Today. 